We are back in Ephesians, and uh, last week we spoke about communication, how we use our tongue, and this week our subject is going to be anger, anger, dealing with anger. And we'll be looking at, in Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verse 26 and verse 31. So verse 26 and verse 31 will be our two texts today. And the subject is, you know, dealing with anger. I call it the tale of two angers. That's what I call it. The tale of two angers. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start in 25 and I'm going to read down to 32. But again, we'll emphasize verse 26 and verse 31. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, going down to verse 32. The word of God reads, Therefore, laying aside falsehoods, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Key verse here, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. 28, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. 29, let no unwholesome words proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, ed edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 31, key verse, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Amen. So our subject is anger today. The tale of two angers will be keying in on verse 26 and verse 31. And we will be doing as we did last week. I'll go over the text and then we're going to turn around and we're going to teach the text to our neighbor. Again, you don't have to get it word for word. You don't have to use every example I'm using. Just whatever you can remember, that's what you can contribute and teach to your neighbor. So, and then we'll go over it again at the end. So just a heads up, if you want to take some notes, you don't have to. Um, but just throwing that out there. So it doesn't have to be perfect. So verse 26 and 31 will be our key verse today. So in the past, you, you all, you, you've heard me talk about orthodoxy, right? Orthodoxy is right doctrine, um, right teaching, right? We want to make sure we have an understanding of God, uh, that our understanding of God is correct, that we have a proper understanding of who Jesus is. Uh, we want to have a, a biblical or orthodox view on heaven and hell and life after death and marriage and justice. We want to have a correct teaching about Jesus, right? So that's, that's orthodox, right? We want to have an orthodox faith, meaning that our faith is consistent with what, the script, what we see in the scripture. So that's, that's one thing that we want to have. We want to have an orthodox faith. Then after an, an orthodox faith, we want to have orthopraxy. Remember, orthopraxy is right action. So after we have our right doctrines and our right beliefs about Jesus, we want to live out our faith now, right? We want to live out what we read in the scripture. We want to practice what we preach. Um, that's, that's orthopraxy. Our praxy. Uh, we, want our, we want our actions to match what we're reading in the scripture. We, we want our actions to match what we talk about. Because we all get irritated with that, that person that maybe faithfully attends church 
and, and, and sends quotes about God and talks about God, but yet does not live what they preach. They have a bad orthopraxy. They may have orthodoxy. They may have an understanding of who Jesus is, but their orthopraxy, their action, does not match with what they preach. And so as Christians, we want to have proper orthodoxy in our doctrine, our understanding of God, but we also want to have proper and right orthopraxy, that we're living according to the scripture, right? So that's orthopraxy. And then there's this third term, orthopathy. Sounds like praxy, but orthopathy. Orthopathy is having right feelings and right emotions. Back in uh, verse 19, for example, when we read about the Gentile who was callous, remember? In verse 19 in uh, chapter 4, they have become callous. And callous means that you don't feel, right? You don't have any emotion, um, especially when it comes to the things of God. You're not a f bothered by sin. You can just go ahead and do it. You have become callous. Uh, we looked at the Beatitudes. Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, right? What is mourning? Mourning is an emotion. Mourning is a feeling, and if you remember where the Apostle Paul, um, he wrote to the Corinthians, um, he wrote a letter to the Corinthians kind of scolding them because they didn't mourn. There was a situation in the church where uh, a guy had his father's wife, which is his stepmom, and as opposed to the church mourning over that situation, that this person was still in their church, they, were, they had the wrong emotion. Uh, Paul says that they were arrogant, that they were prideful. So in that case, Paul is saying, no, you have the wrong emotion because this sin is going on and lingering in your church. You should not be prideful and arrogant, but you should have the right emotion, which is mourning. You should be sad and bothered that this, this scandal is just allowed to stay in the church. He said you should be mourning about, about that. So this brings us now to the topic of anger, which is another feeling or emotion that we all experience. Anger. As a Christian, am I allowed to even be angry? It's a question someone to know. Am I, am I allowed to have anger inside of me as a Christian? Or is anger something that I have already died to and should there, therefore no longer express? How should I look at anger as a Christian? Well, it's, it's complicated. That's, that's, a, that's the best way to put it. Anger as a Christian, it's complicated. Um, it's complicated because we have passages like Ephesians 4.26, which reads, Be angry and yet do not sin. And you're like, cool, I got it. Be angry, but do not sin. Right? So we see verses like that. that says, be angry, but do not sin. So it seems like anger is not a sin. And then you have verses like 31, where you just go down five verses later, in verse 31, where Paul says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So hold on, in verse 40, 26, it's be angry and yet do not sin. But when I go right down in 31, it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger be put away from me. We find the same thing in Colossians 8, where Paul is again telling us to put away all anger and malice. And not only that, you go to the Old Testament of the Tanakh, and there's many times where we see God um, as described with the human emotion of anger. We see God in the Old Testament being angry at certain uh, acts of Israel. And then when you come to the New Testament, we see Jesus being angry or grieved at the hardness of heart of the Pharisees when it came to healing the person on the Sabbath, right? So what do we do then with anger? Is it sinful? Is it wrong? Is it something that's acceptable? Is it certain types of anger? 
how do we deal with this thing that's inside of us that we all experience? How do we deal with this emotion and feeling of anger, right? Well, I would say there's different categories, if you will, of, of anger. All anger is not treated alike. There's anger that is just, and there's also anger that should be condemned. So today we, we, we will address the anger in verse 26, which seems to be permitted. And then we'll look at the anger in verse 31, which we are told to put away. So now in verse 26, Paul says here, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not grieve or do not give the devil an opportunity. In verse 26, Paul is doing what he did in verse 25. He's quoting from the Tanakh. He's quoting from the Old Testament. So that verse 26, be angry and do not sin, is coming directly out of the Old Testament. Here Paul is quoting Psalms 4.4. So he's quoting Psalms 4.4. Go with me here. I just want to show you something so you can see the context of Psalms 4.4. So when he says, be ye angry and yet do not sin, he is quoting Psalms 4.4, which is why this verse should be in all caps, maybe in your Bible, or it's highlighted. It's, it's letting you know that he's quoting somewhere in the Old Testament. So go with me to Psalms 4.4 so you can see what Paul is quoting here. Psalms 4.4 in the Old Testament. And it, again, if you don't know where that's at, there's nothing wrong with using a table of contents to find it. So there's nothing wrong with that. So I'll let you get there. Psalms 4.4. It's the Psalm of David. We all here? Here's a Psalm of David where David is instructing us in righteousness. Let's look what David says here in Psalms 4 4. He says, Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Let's go to 5. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. So our key verse is verse 4. He says, tremble and do not sin. Now some of you who are really keen on this, you should be saying, or you're probably saying, wait. Paul says, be ye angry and do not sin. But Psalms 4.4 says, tremble and do not sin. Why are they not matching up? What's the difference? What's going on here? Well, this word tremble in the Hebrew is this word ragaz. And it means to tremble and shake with anger or with fear. So that's what this word means. It means to tremble. You ever been so angry where you're just shaking like, ugh, right? And so it means to tremble with anger or with fear. And we know that it's, it's, it's anger here because Paul is quoting that in his letter to the Ephesians. And that's actually how it's translated in this Septuagint as anger. So that's what we, we see here. So David is saying to tremble with anger and do not sin. Do not sin. Again, it's like it's being so angry. I'm sure like you've been in a situation where you've been so angry where you are just trembling with, with wrath almost because you're, you're so upset. Or it, it's, it's, it's this. It's when you, your redeemed spirit, you're so angry and your redeemed spirit just wants to go off on this person. But you know that it's wrong if I go off on this person. Your redeemed spirit is saying, no, I know I, I want to give this person a piece of my mind. I want to go ahead 
ahead and read this person a riot act, but as opposed to doing it, I'm not going to do it because I know that doing that will sin against God, and so I don't want to do it. And so as opposed to me going off and just giving a person a piece of my mind, I am trembling with wrath as the, the good inclinations inside of me saying, no, don't do it, but I got this other internal battle in me that said, go ahead and curse them out or go ahead and give them a piece of my mind. And so inside of me, there's this trembling with anger as these two forces come together. But because I love God more than I love expressing my sin, I'm not going to do it. That's the thought that Paul or David is saying here. I'm, just, I'm going to tremble with anger as opposed to going off and sinning and doing something that brings God displeasure. And, and, that, and that's the concept that we find here in verse 4, that rather than offend God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to battle, I'm going to tremble with anger as opposed to expressing my anger and doing something that's going to bring God displeasure. It's like, oh, I, I want to say these words to you. Oh, I want to take off, but I'm more concerned about pleasing God. Or, or oh, I want to give you a piece of my mind, but no, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. So as opposed to going off, I'm going to tremble with, with anger, but I'm not going to go and actually do something that I know will bring God displeasure. I'm going to walk away and be cool. So this is showing us here when it says, tremble and do not sin, that Anger in and of itself is not sin. That's why it says tremble and do not sin. The trembling, that's, it's separate. It's tremble and do not sin, meaning that the trembling and the anger is not the sin. So anger in and of itself is not sin. The sin happens in what we do in our anger. It's the action that we carry out in our anger. That's where the sin comes. It's not in the anger in and of itself. No, we're, we're allowed to have that. It's what do I do in my anger? Do I raise my fist and I strike? Do I say words to hurt you? Do I yell and I scream? That's where the sin comes in. It's, it's what I do in my anger. Now, I don't want to give you this wrong impression, though. I just want to make sure this is clear. It's not like, okay, as long as I don't sin, I could be angry, and so it, it's fine if I'm angry all the time. No, that's, that's not what we're saying here. It's not just go ahead and freely be angry as long as I don't sin. That's, that's not the, the thing that we want to do. We see that often everywhere in the scripture where James tells us to uh, be slow to anger, right? We're told not. We don't want to become angry. That's not something that the Bible is telling you to do. You don't have a license to just go around and be angry, right? We want to be slow to anger. James tells us that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, right? So we don't want to just go around being angry. We don't want to be quick-tempered as well and just angry at everything. It's, it's not like, oh, I couldn't get into my favorite restaurant. It's a 45-minute wait, so now I'm going to be angry. No, that, that, that's not the thing that the Bible is saying. You're not permitted to just go around being angry at, at everything. But anger in and of itself is, is not the sin. It's, it's not a, a sinful thing. Um, I remember a few years ago, me and my wife, right, we were, it was a Sunday, and uh, we were out, I think it was at a pizza restaurant, and we're watching this older gentleman. He gets out of his car, it's on a Sunday, and he doesn't know anyone's around, I guess, and so he walks up to this burger restaurant to buy a burger to only find that the burger restaurant was closed and not open on Sunday. And we watched this older gentleman who didn't know anyone's around curse and scream at nobody nobody the restaurant was closed but he's just cursing and mad and kicking and yelling and me and my wife i'm like babe you see this guy he's just cursing nobody's even in the restaurant 
See, no, we, we don't want to get to that place where we can just be angry at everything. We don't want to just go around being angry. If we are going to be angry, the thing that we want to do, church, we want to make sure that our anger matches God's anger. We want to be bothered in anger by what bothers and angers God. Those are the matters that we really want to be anger, angry about. It's not that we just want to freely be angered at every little thing, but what angered and bothered God? What was something that got his got him going? Like that's where we want to be. So, like if you if you go and you survey the Old Testament, you're going to find that God, when dealing with Israel, he was angered at their idolatry. That's one thing that angered God and brought his wrath was was idolatry. In the Old Testament, we find God being angered when justice was perverted. He was mad when judges would take bribes and people would lie. That brought God's anger. Um, God was mad or angered when vulnerable people in society were taken advantage of. Taken advantage of, like your widow, the orphan, the poor, the immigrant. He, he, all throughout the Old Testament, you'll see God is angered and mad when people take advantage of those groups. In the Old Testament, we find God being angered at falsehoods, like we discussed last week. When we lie, remember we talked about how God hates lying, right? That is something that angers God when people lie. We also see that in the Old Testament, God was angered at corrupt leaders in Israel. So corrupt leaders and corrupt shepherds, the stuff we kind of talked about today, those were the things that angered God. And if you want, just, just if you want on your own time, I would encourage you to read Isaiah chapter 5. Just read Isaiah chapter 5 alone. You'll see all the things that really has God anger or gets God angered. In, in Isaiah chapter 5, you'll see God being angry at the rich who continue to just gobble up land to where there's no more land left for anyone else. They're just gobbling up land. He, that angers God. What, uh, when people call evil good and good evil, that was another thing you'll see in Isaiah 5 that angered God. Um, when uh, He was angered when the wicked would take a bribe and that justice would be taken from those who are right. Those were things that angered God. That's the stuff that angered God, and that's the stuff that should bother us. We don't want to just allow any little thing to get us anger, but if it's something that bothers God, then it should bother us as well. In the New Testament, with Jesus in anger, you can go to Mark chapter 3, verse 5, and we find Jesus there. He's angered at the heart of the Pharisees when he's healing a man on the Sabbath. There was a man on the Sabbath going to receive his blessing and get his hand healed, but yet the religious elite were mad that Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. They didn't even care about the man's hand. They didn't even care that this man had a withered hand. They were more concerned about the day that Jesus did the healing. And the scripture says that this angered Jesus and that Jesus was grieved that the Pharisees thought this way. That, that's what we would call that. That's that righteous indignation of the Lord. Do we have that? That's the anger we want to have. Do we, do we pray thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven because we look around and we see so much wrong and wickedness in the world and injustice in the world. That's, that's what we do with our anger. We, we, we say, Lord, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what the anger should cause us to do. Or when we look around and we see just wickedness, we should scream out Maranatha, meaning Jesus return. We want you to return to, to end this wrong that we see. That's what we should do with our anger. So church, does the anger of God, does it bother you? Do you? Does your anger match what God is angry about? Or are you just angered about more of the trivial things in life? We should be bothered by the things that God is bothered by and not what we just see in society. Because right now there's an influencer, there's media, and there's politicians who are happy to tell you what to be angry about. 
You just go anywhere on social media. There's people that will tell you what you should be angry about. But the question is, what they're telling you to be angry about, does it match the scriptures? Is it what we find in your Bible? Is it something that bothered Jesus? Did it bother the Lord in the Old Testament? If it doesn't, then you should not spend your anger there. I know they, they convince you to have good arguments to be mad about all the stuff that's happening in America, but if it's not bothering God, if it's not something we see in the scriptures that bother the Lord, then we should not spend our anger there. We don't want to spend our anger there. And even on righteous acts, my brothers and sisters, you don't want to stay with anger a little, that with too long. You don't want to keep anger around too long. Which is why Paul says in verse 26 of Ephesians 4, <clears throat> excuse me, in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, to not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity, meaning you can't keep anger around for so long. Even the righteous anger, you don't want to just keep it around. You don't want it to just linger because when you just allow anger to linger, whether it's even the righteous anger or just even the trivial stuff, you give the devil, the devil an opportunity to tempt you to sin to influence you to sin. You don't want to keep anger around. So Paul says, let me get back there to Ephesians. Excuse me. So he says here, and back in 26, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And you, you don't want to keep it for too long. Keeping anger too long, it's like leaving out food on the, on the sink, right? What happens when you leave out food on the counter for too long? It spoils and it gets rotten. That's the same thing with us. When we keep anger inside of us for too long, it spoils you and you become bitter and you become like the anger of Ephesians 4.31. Look at what Ephesians 4.31 says. Looking at the other types of anger. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Do you see how this anger in verse 31 is different from the anger in verse 26? See, the anger in verse 31 is coupled with wrath. The anger in verse 31 is surrounded by bitterness. The anger in verse 31 is surrounded by clamor, which is loud talking and yelling. You ever seen people when they're angry and they just yell and they, that's clamor. That's, that's a different type of anger. The anger in verse 31 is surrounded by slander, meaning making false and accusations and damaging statements about people. The wrath in verse 31 is surrounded by malice. Malice is meaning I'm intent on doing evil. You ever been so angry and you're so mad, you're just thinking about all the wrong things you're going to do to this person. That's malice. See, that's a different type of anger that Paul is talking about. Paul is saying this anger, this anger that is surrounded with bitterness, this anger that is involving wrath and clamor and slander, that anger you need to put away once and, all, and for all. That's different from the anger of verse 26. That anger is not surrounded by all these other sinful things. But the anger in verse 31, Paul is saying, no, that's the anger. That anger involves sin. That is the anger that is careless. That is the anger that is not thinking about the pleasure of God. That is the anger that is only thinking about carrying out my wrath. That type of anger that makes me only feel good at the moment, that's the anger that Paul's saying, we need to put that away. So there's a difference from the anger of verse 26 and the anger of verse 31. So we got to watch it here, my brothers and sisters. 
on how we deal with this anger. We don't want to allow anger to linger around. I think about it in my own relationship with my wife. Um, we really try to live out what Paul says in verse 26, where he says, do not let the sun go down on your, your anger. Meaning when we have a spat, we have a situation where we disagree, we try to make it a, you know, uh, we are intent on making sure that neither one of us go to bed sleepy with that anger still inside of us. Now, we have not always done that perfectly. I'm not going to say we've done that perfectly. But if we're angry, we want to make sure that, no, you, your face is not going to hit that pillow until we discuss and work this out. You and I, we are not going to go to, go to bed angry. Why? Because when you go to bed angry, all it does is just create more bitterness in you. As Paul says in verse 31, it's, it's that bitterness and it leads to just wrath and it leads to clamor and it leads to you just speaking crazy. So that's one area in our lives that we said we are not going to, you know, we're going to follow at least when it comes to this text. We really want to make sure that we don't go to bed with anger. What I want to do is, uh, before I do that, let me just go over. Ephesians again, and then I want to give you some, some tips from the scripture on how we deal with anger, some ways that we find in our Bible. But let me go back first to Ephesians just to make sure it's submitted in our minds and we got it. So we looked at verse 26 today. Verse 26 says, be angry and yet do not sin. So is anger a sin, yes or no? Not necessarily. That's, that's a good one. Not necessarily. It's complicated, right? Not necessarily, right? Um, how long should we stay angry? Should we stay angry all night? Should we just keep it until the matter is resolved? Or? Before the sun goes down? So there's a duration, right? That's the whole point. That there's a duration, right? There's a limit. We don't just keep anger around, right? Because it's, it's not good. What happens if you keep anger around? What can result? Bitterness. Bitterness. Slander, all of that, right, right. You guys are, are good. Yep. And what what else happens when we keep anger around too long? What what else happens? It's in verse twenty seven. We we'll give the devil an opportunity, right? He's it's a foothold, right? You're angry and you're mad and upset. Now he can go in and just tempt you even more to go and sin and to do wrong, right? So it. it gives a place for, to the devil. So we want to not keep anger around too long because he can even, even good stuff. He can go and you're so angry about this and I'm going to go take justice on my own hands now, right? I hate what they did to this person down the street and I don't want to wait for the court and all of that. So I'm just going to take justice on my own because I'm just so angry. So even good stuff. And we see that happening, I would say, in, in, um, in many urban communities where you have shootings going by. They call it street justice where... It's like, well, if the court don't give us justice, we're going to go get justice, right? That's street justice. Why? Because they, they're so angry and they kept it around so long that now they want to go take vengeance in their own hands. And that's what can happen. That's where the devil can come in and have his foothold. So we, we don't want to keep anger around for too long. And this is real good for relationships. So good. Not just husband and wife, but brother or sister, mom and dad, father, like all of this. We, you don't want to keep that anger too long. It's going to ruin or it's going to make your relationship bitter. It's going to spoil the relationship. So we, we don't want to do that. Um, what else? Let's see. I'm acting like I have never read this. You guys are explaining it to me. Okay. Um, what's the other one I wanted to put? What are some of the results of 
holding anger too long. Sister Debbie, you already answered it, so don't answer it again. <laughs> but what are some of the results that can happen when you hold anger too long? It's in verse 31. Bitter. Wrath. What's, what's clamor? Clamor is yelling, right? I'm so angry, I'm yelling now. That's clamor. That's, okay. And slander. What's slander? Talking bad about falsely, just saying wrong, bad, negative stuff about people. That's what happens sometimes. Think about in your old ways before you knew Jesus. And somebody got you mad. You got in a fight. You're trying to think of the most hurtful stuff to say to that person. To sting them. To zing them. Right? That's part of that slander. Uh, Paul is saying here, no, we need to put that away. Um, malice. What's malice? Intentional. Intentional. Like, I'm trying to hurt you. In my anger, whether it's physically or with the words that I'm using, I'm intentionally trying to dig up something that I know that is going to hit you and hurt you. Paul is saying, those are the things we want to put away. And it's actually in the air is tense, meaning put away forever. Like, get that away from you. Like, that shouldn't be no longer a part of you. Right? When it comes to anger, we shouldn't be angry at everything, right? Right? Who should our anger, if we're going to be angry, who should it match? God's. It should match God's anger, right? Not as far as we can't match God's wrath like that, but the topics, the things that he's bothered by, right? And just what are some of the things that God is bothered by? Justice. Okay, that's one. Abortion. Abortion, okay. Idolatry. Idolatry. What else is God angered at? Pride. Huh? Pride. Pride. He's angered at lying. He's angered when, when people take advantage of people, right? Especially those vulnerable groups in society. Like, he, that bothers the Lord. He's bad at corrupt leaders. And so that gives us, like, if we're going to be angry, we should be angry at the things that God is angered and bothered by, right? We should pray, thy kingdom come. That's, that's, a, that's a tip. When you're angry and you're seeing injustice in the world or just wrong in the world, Suppose you taking out vengeance in your hand. Pray, God, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Pray, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come. Bring forth your kingdom. That's how we want to express our anger when we see anger or our wickedness in society. It's the word of God, right? We want to pray like Jesus does or Jesus tells us to pray. So that's pretty good. That's, that's verse 26 and 31. I'm sure there's more to, to say there, but I wanted to keep it very plain and simple. Um, now I want us to turn to Psalms 4-4 where I believe David just gives us practical tips on handling our anger. So go back to Psalms 4-4, Old Testament. And here we get some real practical tips on dealing with anger. So Psalms 4, Psalms 5, I'm sorry, Psalms Chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. Let's read it again. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. So the first lesson that we get here with anger is we want to, again, fear sinning against God more than expressing our anger. Remember the tremble with anger and do not sin where we're more concerned about sinning against God than expressing our anger. So that's, that's number one when it comes to our anger. What are you most concerned with? And 
here's the thing. To be concerned with God and what pleases God means you have to first love God and desire to want to be pleasing to him. If you don't have that, you're not going to care if what you're doing angers God if you're sinning against God. But once you have a true desire and love for God and really desire him and want to do things that's pleasing to him, then when you're angry, you're thinking, I don't want to sin. I don't want to do anything that's going to offend my Lord. So the first thing in dealing with our anger is you have to have a real relationship with God. And you really have to care about what God thinks. And you really have to care about doing things that's pleasing to his name. Because when you do, then you can think about, oh man, this anger that I'm having, is it going to, I don't want to do anything that's going to offend God. So I'm not going to carry this thing out to the fur its furthest conclusion. I'm not going to go and do that action. Why? Because I'm concerned about what if it leads me to sin and I don't want to sin or offend God. That's my biggest thing. So that's the first one. We must have a relationship with God, really love God, and really desire to be pleasing to him. When we do that, we'll think about him in the midst of our anger. So that's, that's lesson number one. More concerned about God's pleasure than my own pleasure in expressing my anger. Two that we see here from David. He says, to meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. In a modern way, the psalmist is saying, just breathe, right? Just, just take a minute. Just, just, just sit there and think and, and meditate. Maybe invite God's word into your meditation on whatever you're angry about. Don't just, don't just go out there and act. Don't just go out there throwing dishes and breaking stuff and punching holes in walls. What does the psalmist say here? He says, be still. Calm. Don't go out there and do rash things. Sit, meditate on what is really bothering you. Ask yourself, is it really something that would bother God? Bring God's word into the conversation and just be still. That's what, that's what David shows us here in this psalm. Meditating your heart upon your bed and be still. Like, don't go do too much. This is another good practical tip. Verse 5, he says here, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness. We don't offer sacrifices of animals anymore, right? Jesus is the one and only sacrifice, but we can offer up the sacrifice of our lips. We can begin to praise God, or guess what? We can offer up a contrite heart, especially, especially if you realize that I'm, I was wrong in my anger. Now you should have a broken heart and say, God, I'm offering this up to you because I know it was wrong. So we can offer up the praise of our lips, the praise of our mouth. We can offer up that as a sacrifice, or we can offer up a contrite heart a broken heart over my anger that maybe you have that you shouldn't have that's how we can deal with our anger let's offer it up to God let's offer praise up to God so we offer up sacrifices of righteousness and then for the fourth tip and last tip he says and trust in the Lord that's the big one. Oftentimes we go off in our anger trying to take vengeance because we're not trusting in the Lord. We're not trusting that God would be just. We're not trusting that God is going to handle this matter. No, we must trust in the Lord. Whatever has got us so angered, you can't go take everything into your own hands. Offer up that sacrifice of praise and guess what? Leave it in the Lord's hand. As in the churches that I grew up in, they would say, let go and let God. Like you Just go and trust God here. Don't try to take it all into your hands. Whatever has you so angered and so bothered, go and trust this matter to God. So that's another practical tip that we get just from this psalm here. Fearing God again, 
Fearing sin against God more than expressing my anger. Meditating in my heart the word of God on this matter. Being still, not going out and doing rash things. Offering up the sacrifice of praise of my lips or a contrite heart. And then trusting God, trusting the Lord and not in my own self. Let him handle the matter. These tips alone just can help us in this fight against anger and this battle when anger bubbles up inside of us. Think on these things. Amen. Amen.